Friends, today we come to the second to last week in our teaching series entitled Foundations. In this series we've been working our way through the Apostles' Creed, the earliest creed of the ancient church. Talking about in a world that is changing rapidly around us, what is it that we believe? What can we build our lives and our worldviews on that is constant, that is foundational, that is unchanging? Today, in the second to last week of this series, we come to a phrase right at the end of the creed. It's part of the I believe statements at the end of the creed. And today, we're focusing on the phrase, I believe in the resurrection of the body. I believe in the resurrection of the body. Now, this isn't talking so much about Jesus' resurrection. We've affirmed that earlier in the creed. The creed's not just getting redundant. We've testified that Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried the third day he rose again. This is about the implications for us upon the magnificent idea that death is not the end of any of our stories, that in faith what we believe and what we proclaim is that our lives are at that moment are swallowed up by greater life. Now, there's a, there's a trickiness to this concept, isn't it? There's a, there's a mystery to this as to what it means that can be hard for us to grasp. There's a friend of mine that's a pastor in North Carolina, and he has three children, but when his oldest was 10 years old, their family lost uh, a, a distant family member, but someone they knew. And it was the first time that their, their child had experienced the loss of someone that they knew. And so after the service, when they were at home, uh, the 10-year-old asked uh, uh, his mom and dad, it was like, so what, what was that all about? Like, what do we believe happens when people die? What happens when people die? The mom looked at the dad and was like, listen, you went to seminary, you got the degree in this, this is your territory, you get, to, you get to have this conversation. And so he went into a really theologically grounded statement of like, well, we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and as we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we also believe that we become participants in the resurrection with him, and that we participate in the new creation as we understand all that that means through life abundant and life in Jesus. And he said that his 10-year-old was just like complete blank stare, completely lost at what he's doing, and his wife was sitting there going, you're gonna have to do better. Like that, that was a lot of big words that made no sense. And so he said that he said, he goes, all right. He said, you know, and he was going like, please hope Sunday schools worked and that we've taught them. He's like, you know that Jesus died, right? And he's like, yes. He's like, all right, good. That's a good starting point. So Jesus died on the cross, yes. And what we believe at Easter is that on the third day, he rose again from the dead and that his disciples saw him and, and someone's like, yes. And so he said, so since he rose from the dead, bodily rose from the dead, we all believe that when we die, we participate. We get to do the same thing as Jesus. And his son goes, oh, I completely understand. And he goes, really? He goes, yeah, yeah, my friends and I talk about this stuff all the time at school. And he goes, really? That's amazing that you guys talk about this all the time at school. He goes, yeah, dad, Jesus is a zombie. And he was like, what? He goes, no, so G, like, oh, he comes back to life after he's buried, so Jesus is a zombie and we're part of the zombie army. And he was like, no, that is not what this means at all. That's not it at all. He goes, dad, dad, it's called the zombie apocalypse. We talk about this all the time. He's like, no. And his wife looked at him and was like, this is great. So he's gonna see a preview for The Walking Dead and go, that's what eternity's gonna be like. That's what, that's what, don't you wanna come to church with me? This is what it's gonna be. But it's hard because there's something like mysterious about what this means. What does it mean to say that we believe in the resurrection of the body? So as we speak about this mystery, as we speak about this, the scripture that's going to guide us, that's going to, it's in your bulletin, it's going to come up on the screens, is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 55. 
The Apostle Paul writes this. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed, for this perishable body must put on imperishability, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability, and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that no matter who we are or how we walk in here, that we would be open to this good news, to the truth and the hope of the age to come. We pray for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So friends, one of the most basic tenets of our faith is that when we die, just as we see with Jesus, that we are participants with him in his resurrection. And I think that there's a a struggle that we feel, and I honestly feel it today, where it's like, this is such a profound but simple truth, and and then how do you sort of talk about it in in any kind of detail? Because there's, there's the proclamation, but then when you get into the details, it becomes really mysterious. And so the church kind of tries to figure this out in some ways. And, and, and I've seen the, uh, us do this where it, it kind of is based on what's the question that we should sit with to approach this, right? Like, like the question that we could often sit in, and, and you might have, have heard discussions like this before about the resurrection and, and, and the, the age to come and, and the end of times is, is the what questions, right? Like, what does this really mean? And what does it mean when there's perishable and imperishable? What does it mean when we're going to be changed? We got to have scholars pick out scripture and like debate these different things of here's what it means and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and while that can be interesting and that can be important, that's not the, the core of it. And, and in all honesty, we don't really know what Paul's saying. I mean, he himself says in this passage, it's mysterious. Like there's a mystery. There's an element to mystery to this that we can't just sort of scientifically break it down and go, you know, it means this and what here and what that. And then now we all have an understanding. And yes, we all understand and we move on. There's something more mysterious about it in this. The what question sort of skims along the surface, but doesn't kind of get at it. And then what you also see is that other places and other folks can approach the when question, Right. So when we read about this, like, so when is this going to take place? And Christians have spent a lot of time on this. There's, there's folks who have like charts about this, right? And it's like, you know, it's like, well, you know, when we see this event in the newspapers, then, then that means that Daniel 9 is fulfilled and it's now 118 days until this takes place. And then we can predict when these end of days will come. And for thousands of years, the church has, has had people who have done that. And they try to map it out and time it out. For 2,000 years, we've been wrong every single time. But that doesn't stop us from continuing to try. It's amazing. Watch. It's like, well, we missed it there, but, you know, but because we interpreted Daniel 8 differently, and now we understand this. So now it's 82 days until. It's like, no, I don't think that's the point. The win question isn't, to me, the most important thing to get at the power of what's happening here. What The question I want us to sit in is why. Not what, what does it all mean? Not, not when, because even Jesus says you're not going to know when. It's going to come like a thief in the night. The question is why? 
Why does this matter? Why, when the, when the earliest Christians were writing the apostles, well, were kind of forming the Apostles' Creed as a baptismal liturgy, saying, what is the essence of our faith? At the very core, what is it about? Why did they say it needs to include the resurrection of the body? And why did they even phrase it that way? So when we talk about why, we're actually going to talk about it from two points of view. I think there's two reasons of why this is so significant that if we really sit with the why, it would impact our life today. Now, I, I need to say from the beginning, I don't like preaching two-point sermons. I don't like preaching three-point sermons. I, I think with my very limited communication skills, I just try to have one. And my hope is, is that in your busy lives and with my limited skills, that on Wednesday you might still remember what that one point is. So I feel a little nervous about a two-point. But the fact is, you can't talk about one without talking about the other. Okay? So there's two things about why this idea that, 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 that life is swallowed up by greater life. Why this matters and why should it impact our lives and how we live in the here and now? Well, the first of the two points is this. The first thing is that the resurrection of the body is communal. It's communal. And we have to name that straight away because in our culture and where we live today, we have sort of a default of thinking individualistically. And that's not necessarily bad, but it's just how we think. So when we hear the resurrection of the body, it's like, well, does that mean my body? And what about this person? What about this person? And that's a part of it. But the Bible's default is not individualism. The Bible's default is community. And so this language of how it's phrased, the body, the resurrection of the body, this word, this term body in the, is found throughout the New Testament. And almost always it means we. It means the church. It means us. It means that we as a people, we as a community. When we talk about church, we're not talking about a building. This is not a church. A church is us. It's the people, biblically, the ecclesia that we together will rise and we will be a part of the new creation. It's an amazing concept because when it talks about the idea of a body, it's also saying biblically that there's a head of the body, which is Jesus. And there's a sense in this passage that the body is yearning to be completed by being joined with the head. But also when you think about it, it's saying that the head is desiring to be joined with the body. That God himself is yearning for this day when you and I uh, join God in the moment of this new creation. That we are a part of that together. And I think that there's a, there's a, there's a significant impact of what that means for how you and I to live today. And what we're supposed to remember about this is that if eternity and if the age to come is built upon the idea of connection and connectivity, then we need to keep that at the heartbeat of what we say is important. There's going to be something that we are going to have lost as we reemerge from this pandemic if we just go back to being crazy busy and are too busy for the relationships in our lives. Before the pandemic happened, we were seeing spikes that were happening throughout age groups for adults of the increase in stress and the increase in loneliness. We were working harder all the time and feeling more and more isolated. We've talked about this before, that there were two things happening at the exact same time in our culture that were unique in human history. The first that studies were showing is that we are more urbanized than any point in human history, which is an amazing thing to be able to say. There are more people living in urban areas than at any point globally in human history. And yet at the exact same moment, we are lonelier. Studies are showing that, that we are growing and we're surrounded by more faces and yet we don't know anybody. And we don't have people who know us. We're charging hard all the time. And we're posting photos on Facebook of showing how amazing our life is. But we don't have anybody that looks below the surface and knows us and walks with us and prays for us. 
It's important when we say that the resurrection of the body is about our connectivity, that eternity is about our being joined together with one another and with God. And so what does that mean to make decisions as we are reforming habits in this reemergence to say, what do we not want to be too busy for? And we don't want to be too busy to live in that connectivity together. This has formed so much of how we think about the ministries of this church. We've seen the explosion in recent years of small groups, hundreds and hundreds of people now working and being in small groups. We have mentoring relationships. We have Bible studies that have flipped on their head and so that lectures aren't taking place in person, but they're taking place online and folks are gathering in small groups to process together and talk together and pray together and interact together. And we're seeing these numbers just kind of grow in these areas. Last week was a wonderful week for me here at Covenant because we had to celebrate our first baptism. We had to celebrate two more today. And at the end of the baptism, I saw for that family, uh, folks gathering around and they were sort of taking some pictures and there were grandparents and there were aunts and uncles. But what was cool was that there was uh, people from our church who it turned out were in their small group that were coming up. And in the end, they were all up on the chancel too, taking pictures. They go to different services. They might worship in different styles. That wasn't why they chose how to go to church that day. They came to be with the people that they are doing life with, that they know how to pray with. And it was that wonderful moment for me of going, that's the win. It's not about how big our crowds get. It's about whether there are on-ramps for every person in every age and stage of life to be a part of community. Do you have people in your life walking with you? The resurrection of the body is communal. Eternity is not going to be an eternal church service with a sermon that lasts forever. And I know that's good news for you. I know that's good news. It's also not going to be an eternal golf game. Because no matter how much you like golf, in a week of that, you'll be bored out of your mind. Because life is meant to be about purpose. It's meant to be found in relationships and in connectivity and in meaning. So this has direct implications for the decisions you and I make today. The resurrection of the body is communal. But what we also see is that the resurrection of the body, secondly, is personal. It's highly personal. I didn't say it's individualistic. It's not that. It's communal. But it's very personal. And you... I want you to think about this. You are desired in that. That when the head, Jesus, is yearning for the body and for that coming back together, your name is one that he yearns to be reconnected with. We live in a world that rewards our sense of identity, our sense of importance, and tears away at it in certain ways. We do things that when we do well, we have people look at us, oh, you're a very important person, or uh, you get rewarded in this way, or we notice what you're doing, and it makes us feel big and important, and we have other moments that can just strip us of that and make us feel overlooked. You ever been in one of those settings where you're introducing yourself to somebody for the third time? You remember them, and they're like, no, I've never met you before. You ever been at one of those events where someone's talking to you in a room full of people and looking over your shoulder at who else is in the room that they want to make certain that they go talk to? And he's like, you're in the conversation, but I'm not very important. We have all kinds of ways to reward us. We have all kinds of things that strip away at are we important? Do we matter? One of my favorite stories of all time in in life about this uh, is about a friend of mine in seminary um, named Bobby Williamson. 
Bobby Williamson uh, is, and this is a happy ending to this story, so I'm just going to say that from the beginning. Bobby is uh, a, a PhD uh, professor now of Old Testament studies at a college in Arkansas. He's an insanely gifted guy. But when I got to know Bobby many years ago, it's now getting to be many years ago when I was in seminary, uh, Bobby was a year ahead of me, and he knew, like a lot of us when we go to seminary, we're not certain what our vocation might look like. Bobby was like, I want to study New Testament. I want to get a PhD in, I mean, in Old Testament. I want to get a PhD in Old Testament, and I want to be a professor. That's what I want to do. So his final year of seminary, he was beginning the process of applying to PhD programs, which are incredibly competitive to get into in Old Testament. And so he went to one of our Old Testament professors, and he said, hey, listen, would you be willing to write a recommendation for me? And the professor was like, absolutely. Um, you know, I've loved the work that you've done. In fact, next week, there's going to be a gathering of Old Testament faculty from around the country that's going to be here in Atlanta, which is where our seminary is. And he said, why don't you just come to the opening kind of meet and greet, and I'll introduce you to some of these people because they're going to they're read your resume, and, the, and, and I want them to have their radar screen up for you when all the applicants come in. And he was like, oh, that's amazing. He felt like really important. You know, it's like, oh, I'm going to get to go to this, and I've been recognized by my professor. And he said, should I, should I like, ride with you? And the professor was like, no, just show up. Here's the address. Just show up again. And he said it. He's like, I feel weird, man. Like, there's no other students. And like, what if I walk in and I'm not supposed to be there? I'm like, no, you've been invited. Go. It's an amazing thing. I was a little jealous that he had been recognized that way, but I was okay with that. It's like, you know, you go and like do this kind of thing. You've got these gifts. He shows up at the party on the event, walked in, and he said he knew in an instant the professor had forgotten he was coming. <laughs> said that he walked in feeling like all high and mighty and walked in and the person was like, Oh, you're here. How great. Yes, you are. Yes, you're here. Good. Oh, good. Um, let me introduce you to different people. And so Bobby Williamson said that he kind of went up and he was thrown a little bit off. And he's like, yeah, but I still got invited to this. I'm going to meet these people and feeling pretty important still, even though there was that little hiccup there. And then all of a sudden, these kind of different professors get around, and they're from this institution, that institution. Bobby's like, oh, I want to apply there. I want to apply there and see what happens. And, and this professor goes, all right, guys, listen. Ladies and gentlemen, I want, I want to introduce a student. I know that this is uh, not typical, but I, I want you to know uh, as this application is coming, it's, it's really gifted, and, and I hope that you'll pay attention when you see his application. I want you to remember his name. It's, um, uh, Billy. Billy Richardson. I want you to look for Billy Richardson's application when it comes in. And Bobby Williamson, who was standing there, said, what do I do now? He said, I went from feeling 10 feet tall to one inch tall in that room. He said, do I look at this professor in front of all his colleagues and be like, that's actually not my name. I appreciate the endorsement, but that's not. And so he said what he did instead is he went up to a couple of professors afterwards and he's like, hey, I was really great to get that introduction. And um, great, if Billy Richardson applies, I'm sure they're wonderful. I just also want to encourage you to look for Bobby Williamson's application when it comes in, because I think that would be a really strong one as well. Now, again, it has a great ending. Bobby got into a PhD program. He didn't need anybody's endorsement. He's a professor now of Old Testament in Arkansas. He's doing great. But all that story still, when I see him still, he's Billy Richardson to me. When, like, uh, seriously, when I, whenever, after that, I just like called him Billy Richardson. Uh, but we all know those moments, right? Those moments that can make us feel big, but also those moments that can make us feel like we're one inch tall, like we're overlooked and forgotten. Why does the resurrection of the body matter? Because what it means is, is that you are desired as a part of that. That Jesus is the head yearns for this connection with you. That you are somebody. Somebody. 
And that, as Henry Nouwen writes, that when God looks at you, you want to know what your identity is? When God looks at you, he declares that you are his beloved. Imagine what it meant if we all took that seriously. Imagine the change it would mean if we took that news seriously. That the things that we do that the world rewards us for does not increase our value in the eyes of God. And the things we do that are shameful, that we hope no one ever knows about us, that we put energy into hiding, does not take away the value that we have in God's eyes. Imagine if that kind of grace became real to us all. We believe in the resurrection of the body. What does that exactly mean? Well, Paul himself says it's mysterious. When is it going to take place? I can't answer you that question. Why does it matter? Because it reminds us of what eternity will be like. And it reminds us that you are somebody. And if you held on to that this week, no matter what the world told you, it would be the most revolutionary moment that you could imagine. Amen? Amen. Amen.